Thank you, Jody. Good, oh, I don't need that. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Well, we are here to celebrate First Communion. So discipleship here at Lakeland, becoming a follower of Jesus, we believe is a lifelong journey. And so uh, we start as soon as a child is born, helping that family to know how to bring the child up spiritually. So we have a series of seven milestones during childhood for the whole family to stop at different seasons of life and kind of... um, Understand, okay, for this season, what do we do as a family to bring our kids up in the life of Jesus? So our seven milestones, I'll see if I can do it without looking. Uh, infant baptism is where it begins, and, and that's more than, or infant dedication, uh, we do both. Um, but there's also home visits and stuff to help that family get started with what can you do even for an infant and toddler to introduce them to Christ Jesus. Then we have Welcome to Kindergarten. We have First Communion, which uh, these uh, uh, kids are graduating from. We have um, the Bridges Milestone. We have uh, the Lunch, which is for those entering high school. We have, I did it out of order, but we have Confirmation right before that, 7th and 8th grade. And then let's jump up to 11th and 12th grade for the Journey. So seven spiritual milestones for the life of a family. And then after that, there are eight spiritual milestones for the life of an adult. So these are intentional seasons. So this is our largest uh, First Communion class that we've ever had, 15 families. So these are half. The other half were in first service. So uh, for four weeks, they have attended classes, learning about the Lord's table, communion, and the church. Families attend all together to talk about what's appropriate at this stage of uh, these kids' lives for the family to grow together in Christ. So we're very serious about this journey toward Christ throughout the whole life for everyone. So um, we're so excited to hear what the kids have learned about the Lord's table. So we're going to ask them to share at this time a little bit of what they learned over the last four weeks. Are you guys ready? Well, someone tell us what does communion teach us about presence? Very well, thank you. And what does communion teach us about belonging? Thank you. What does communion teach us about oneness? Communion is oneness with God and with each other. What does communion teach us about celebration? What do we say when we serve the bread? And when we serve the cup? Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, let's give them a hand for that. So now our brothers and sisters in Christ are going to uh, serve their first communion. So I want you guys to know now whenever you're in a church service on a Sunday or Wednesday nights or whatever time we have one and, and communion is offered, that you may take part. So we hope that you take all that you've learned and that you know you are a part of the church. 
You're a part of Christ. It's a table that God has invited us to, and you're always invited. We hope that you'll invite others uh, in your life. So remember all that you have learned, and welcome to your first communion. Oh, and you probably want names here. Cameron Boldry. Oh, and this is Kendall. Hey, you guys are not lined up in order. <laughs> You're great, honey. You're great. No, I know who their dad is, and that's not surprising at all. Oh. So that was, that was Kendall Cameron Boldry. Carson Brothers. Elisa Grace King. Isabel Klatmeyer. Christopher Rice. Cooper Jackson Shower. McKenna Sharkey. Peyton Sims. Sophia Turnbow. Let us celebrate. So parents, in just a moment, I'll have you come up and uh, prepare to serve communion with your child. Um, I do want to thank all the parents who took part in this milestone. Uh, I know it's a big commitment to attend uh, something for four weeks <clears throat> during football season. So, um, I, But you have made your family stronger. You have demonstrated what is really important in this world, which is what our message is all about this morning. You've made the church stronger. And I think you've set a fine, fine example. So now these uh, children and their families are going to serve the Lord's table to us. As we remember on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. After giving thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way he took a cup, he said, this cup is my blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sin. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember my death till I eat and drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. So if anyone would like to participate with us in this, we come forward, we tear off a piece of bread, we dip it in the cup, and we receive everything they said it was, the presence of God, the invitation to the table of Christ, a visible sign of the invisible grace of our King. Amen. Let us stand together.
and proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. The gifts of God for the people of God. Each day, may Christ be as real to us as this food and this drink. I believe I skipped the Lord's Prayer, so let us pray together as Christ has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Come forward when you're ready. For many hundreds of years now, this Sunday has been observed as All Saints Day. It is a day to remember uh, those who have gone before us in the faith. So at the end of service today, we'll have a benediction from St. Francis of Assisi. Also here at Lakeland, we like to remember those who have passed and gone on to be with the Lord from our own midst. So since March 3rd, of 2017, the chair draped in white here has been in remembrance of Lyle McCrary, long-time Lakeland member. Uh, Lyle passed, of course, on March 3rd. So Lyle came to Christ uh, late in life through the aggressive evangelistic efforts of his children, which uh, means kind of three things. Um, You're never too old to accept the invitation of Christ. You never know who you may be able to influence, so why not make an invitation? And then in Lyle's case, take whatever gifts God has given you and offer them to the Lord, and he will find a way to use it to spread the good news. Now, there's not a room in this building that you can go into that you won't find a uh, carpet that Lyle has laid, a wall that Lyle has patched and painted, or something that he has built or fixed. So every room in the building has something. At his funeral, we showed pictures of them all. So he took uh, the gifts God has given him, that God gave him, and he offered them. He was also a greeter, and uh, many of you shook hands were welcomed by him for, you know, a decade. So a well done, good and faithful servant. We know he has gone on to his reward. So we're going to have a moment of silence for you to remember Lyle and remember those in your life who have passed and gone on to their reward. While that happens, uh, the chair will be undraped, placed at the foot of the cross, because we like to say we're going to leave that chair open now for the next old boy to come through the doors. Amen. Let's have a moment of silence. Father, remember those who have gone before us. We thank you for Lyle and the gifts you have given him the way he touched our lives, the friend he was to me, the grandparent figure to my children, the greeter who welcomed us in to worship, and the craftsman who made your church beautiful. And for all those who have lived well and served well and are now with you, may remember them and follow their good example, living well and dying well in the name of Christ. Amen. Let us stand together and worship this God who gives his gifts so freely. We're here this morning, and uh, I was wondering if you ever went to one of those events as a child, and you have a lot of memories of the event, but you have no idea why you were there. 
Um, my folks, I remember, took us to some sort of party. There was some sort of bonfire. It was in the fall. I don't know what it was, but I know there was tons of kids there. And we were at a farm. And so all of us kids there uh, late in the evening started playing hide-and-seek on a farm. So it was awesome. So I found this perfect hiding place where, I, where some hay bales were just scooted out from the stall enough that I could slip down all the way to the floor between the hay bales and the wall. I thought they will never find me here. So it got hot back there. It was itchy. There was things crawling on me, but I was going to suffer for my victory. I was not going to be found. So I was down back there a, a, a really long time. <laughs> and it started to get kind of quiet. It started to get a little cooler. I thought, well, surely I've won. How come no one's been around to declare my victory? So I climbed out from behind the hay bale, sweaty, straw-covered mess, And I went out, and what I found was all the kids, and now it's dark, all the kids gathered around the bonfire eating the last of the s'mores. The game had been over for a long, long time, and there was no one looking for me anymore. I was scarred for life by that. The idea that no one was looking for me. Perhaps this is why later in life I was drawn to the figure of Jesus The one who comes to seek and save those who are lost. That's the gospel. If you don't know what gospel means, it means good news. That's the good news. He comes to seek and save those who are lost. Not just those who are lost, but those who are hiding. The truth is, many of us aren't really lost. We are actively hiding from God. Now, in this world, we tend to talk about God and our search for God and spiritual things. We tend to use language that would indicate, like, God is hiding, and we're out there looking everywhere for him. But actually, it's the opposite. God is seeking, and we are hiding. I know that's true, but I have to admit, it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel like God is seeking and we are hiding. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like we're in one place and, and God's wandering around the world, beating the bushes, trying to find us everywhere. It actually doesn't feel like hide and seek at all. It actually feels like a totally different game that I love even more, game Pastor Dan first introduced me to, uh, Sardines. How many of you have ever played sardines? Quite a few. This must be a northern thing. I spent too much time in the south as a kid. Um, I'd never heard of it. So in sardines, uh, one person hides and everyone else looks for them. But when you find them, instead of crying out, I found you, you crawl in and hide too. You join them right where they are. Now everyone's looking for both of you. And as more and more people find you, more and more people crawl in there and fewer and fewer are looking. But you're also getting easier and easier to find because there is a bigger, bigger and bigger ball of people crammed into that hiding place like sardines. And then starts the irresistible giggling, the snickering, the whispering, ow, get your, ow, you know, and that makes you even easier to find. So my family actually started playing this game again last year. Now, my family, everyone is five foot eight or taller. So there's only so many places in a house in the winter that you can, people of that size can fit. But there we are, stacked like cord wood behind the sofa, crammed under the Christmas tree, trying to cover ourselves with gifts. And my favorite, in the trunk of the car in the garage... 
while my son's friend we invited over to play with us wanders around the dark house mystified. <laughs> this place only has eight rooms. Where could people of that size be in here? And we're snickering and laughing away. God is more like sardines. Now, the metaphor is broken because, in fact, God isn't really hidden at all. But the metaphor works for these reasons. That God is in one place. He is in Jesus. That we are wandering around and the only reason we're not finding him is we are looking in the wrong place. But once we find him, we join him where he is. And the more of us that join him, the more joy there is in that place. Laughing, snickering, elbowing each other. The sound of joy that it makes, the church, makes it easier for others who are wandering to stop wandering in darkness, come toward the sound and be found. And pretty soon, you can't miss it. So Jesus asked a question. Uh, Oh, I want to say that God is not hidden. He's right out in front of the world. Right out in front of the world in the person of Jesus Christ, the only God in history ever to try something like this. And yet, for many of us, for much of our life, he was hidden from us because we were looking in the wrong place. Jesus uh, asked this question once to his disciples. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. That's interesting. When Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? They all thought he was a prophet of one kind or another. The first Old Testament prophet they mention in this passage, and the one that's mentioned many other places, is that they thought he was Elijah. Elijah is a prophet whose story is told in the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 17 until 2 Kings chapter 2. They thought that Jesus was a prophet like Elijah. So this morning, as we want to try to come to know Jesus through the Old Testament, let's see if we can't tell something about Jesus by looking at this person they thought he was. By looking at Elijah, might we learn something about who Jesus was? Because that's who people in his day compared him to when they were asked the question. So you're in for a treat this morning because this, in my opinion, is one of the best written accounts in the Old Testament. So we're going to start in 1 Kings chapter 18, where King Ahab, we often call him, but probably in that time he was called Ahab, King Ahab of Israel, he's married to a pagan high priestess named Jezebel. You may be thinking, now Jezebel, there's a Bible name you don't hear slapped on too many kids these days, and after this passage, you'll know why. Um, So together, Ahab and Jezebel have revolutionized the worship of the God of Israel. They have brought in charming practices like child sacrifice and ritual prostitution. Now, you probably know what child sacrifice is, but what on earth is ritual prostitution? Let me explain it on a morning when there are children in the sanctuary. Um, So you would go to this temple... And, uh, and you'd give your offering, and inside the temple would be this woman who's pretending to be a goddess, or this man who's pretending to be a god. And if you had given an appropriately sized offering, then you could fertilize the goddess or be fertilized by the god. It was quite a shocking and disgusting worship practice, but that's what Ahab and Jezebel had brought into the temple of Israel along with child sacrifice. See, this is the reason that people thought Jesus 
or was a prophet? Because prophets show up when times are really corrupt. So if you're one of those people that likes to do our Knowing Jesus handout, I think that's one of your first blanks. Prophets show up when times are really corrupt, when things have really gotten gross, and they give God's message. Just when the people are asking, how can God let this sort of evil happen? Prophets come, and they give the word of God. So Elijah, he comes, and he goes to meet King Ahab and to let him know what God thinks of ritual prostitution, child sacrifice, and all these other uh, forms of pagan worship. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17. When Ahab saw him, he explained, So is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? I've made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped images of Baal instead. You may hear this pronounced Baal, that's fine, but in Hebrew, probably they pronounce both vowels. Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel. That was her goddess she brought over. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. There Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people were completely silent. Then Elijah said to them, I'm the only prophet of the Lord who's left, meaning the only one Jezebel hasn't killed. But Baal has 450 prophets. So bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish, cut it into pieces, lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood of the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God. I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. Of course they would. This is going to be fantastic. They've never seen anything like this before. (laughs) Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first, for there are many of you left. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it and call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. Ah, you'll have to shout louder, he scoffed. For surely he's a God. He has to be Jewish, you know, when he says this stuff. Perhaps he's daydreaming or relieving himself. (laughs) Or maybe he's away on a trip or asleep and needs to be wakened. So they shouted louder and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply. No response. And here's why. There is no God named Baal for them to look to. They are shouting the name of a being who does not exist and who cannot help them. And though there are 450 of them gathered around that fire, there is no joy or giggling in their gathering. 
Because Baal is a God of sex, a God of blood, a God of sacrifice, a supposedly real world God where you have to give something if you want to get something in return. And these guys are giving something. They are giving praise. They are giving dances. They are giving self-inflicted wounds. But they are looking for a God in a place where one cannot be found. And so they are lost, wandering around and around that dry wood and nothing happens. What dry wood are we wandering around and around this morning? Elijah's turn. Now only two things can happen. One, the God of Israel doesn't answer either. And so we learn this, either that uh, gods don't respond to this sort of thing or that all gods are equally fake. Or the God of Israel can answer and prove himself real. Verse 30. Then Elijah called out to the people, come over here. They crowded around him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. That tells you something. Then he took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. And he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about three gallons. He popped wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, Fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. Now he's just showing off. After they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And when they had finished, he said, now do it a third time. Oh, okay. Four jars, three pourings. Now there are 12 jars of water. So a stone for each tribe of Israel, a jar of water for each tribe of Israel. At the usual time for the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you are the Lord, O Lord, our God, and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground, I'll bet, and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. And this is the person that people thought Jesus might be. 800 years after this event, Elijah is one of the people that they think Jesus is. Why? Because to them, this is what Jesus sounded like. A prophet during a corrupt and evil time, calling us to the one true God and demonstrating through miraculous healings, through exorcisms and through control of nature, the truth of his claim. On every occasion, Jesus stood with the prophets and proclaiming, there is one God. But where Jesus sets himself apart from the prophets is when he says, there is one God and there is one Savior, and I am he. That was new. Jesus tells his disciples he can show them the way to God. Gospel of John, chapter 14, he says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. 
and you know the way to where I am going. No, no, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would have known who my Father is. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Uh, still not understanding, Philip says, Lord, sh- sh- show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Come join me, Philip, where I am. You have found what you are looking for. And yet, as beautiful as this moment is, this is right, right here is where the wheels fall off the cart for some of you. Because you know someone who is super nice and they're Muslim or Jewish or an atheist. Now next week, next week we're going to talk in great detail uh, and with a lot of creativity about other religions and other non-religions in the world about what they have to offer. But today... Let's focus on ourselves as we examine this issue of what about other gods. So here we are, we're wandering in the world, and we find Jesus, and he says, I am, I am he. Well, some of us say, I guess I was just hoping it might be someone different. I really like Hinduism. It's so colorful and so exotic, and it hardly requires anything from you. Jesus says, but there's no real God behind Hinduism. Certainly not the millions of gods that they claim. It will not be there for you when you need it the most. Well, what about Buddhism? It's so peaceful and wise and quiet, and Star Wars was based on it, so it can't be all bad. Surely that will bring me just as much enlightenment Jesus says, you know, every religion has as much wisdom as its human creators could muster. But only I am showing you the wisdom of God. If you turn down my offer, there isn't going to be anyone else by this way to find you. I am the one who was sent to find you. Here I am. Well, what if they're all wrong, we ask? Why do we have to choose at all? which I believe Jesus would say, do you really think there's no one looking for you? Do you really think I would leave you to wander that way, that, that I would send no true expression of myself into the world? Do you really believe you're behind a hay bale and no one's been looking for you for a long, long time? I guess not. But what about Seth, my atheist friend? And what about Rajid at work? And what about Sahar, my neighbor? They're beautiful people. They have different gods. I can't leave them behind. To which I believe with all confidence, Jesus would say, I love Seth. I love Rajid. I love Sahar. I loved them when they were in their mother's womb. They are fearfully and wonderfully made. They haven't come by close enough to see me standing here. But I'm about to reach them. 
I'm about to reach them in a way that they will see me for the very first time through you. That's right, they're your friends. And when you are in me, Jesus says, and when I am in you, they will see me in you. When you climb into the kingdom, when you join the holy game of sardines, the joyful giggles coming from you and from all the others in the kingdom will draw them closer and they will see the abundant life in you. You're holding back for love of them because you want them to be found. But the best way of doing that is for you to be found yourself. Come follow me and I'll make you fish for all sorts of people. I think you've heard Jesus say that before. You know that Lakeland, here on Colburn Road, opened with a game of sardines. When the building was done being remodeled, before we held our first Sunday service here, I I think Pastor Dan, who'd been working with contractors night and day for six months, got got a little slap happy. And uh, he called us at home, sounding stranger than usual. And he said, meet us at the church in two hours. And we said, okay. And we came up here and there's hardly any furniture in the place. And he turned off all the lights and someone hid. And we all wandered around in here, 20 of us. And one by one, we started finding the place, which was behind that black box that's sitting there now, but was in preschool one that night. And pretty soon there's 12, 13, 14, 15 people hiding behind this two by four box in the dark. And just like little kids, we start snickering and giggling and whispering and shushing one another. And all that joy made us easier and easier to find, 17, 18, 19. And it's kind of been that way on this corner in the 12 years ever since. Your sister, my friend, his cousin. They see God and they see Jesus Christ and they join the kingdom and they receive his call and they share that invitation with the next person to come and share in this abundant life. Pile in. It goes person to person like that. Pretty soon it gets pretty hard to miss what's going on. I'd like to welcome Hannah Parrish Uh, to join me. She is someone who has received one of these invitations, and she wanted to thank the person who gave the invitation to her. Let's welcome Hannah. Hi, I'm Hannah Parrish, Um, and I wanted to thank Ashley Carlson for telling me about the internship here at Lakeland that I did the last previous two years, um, and for welcoming me into the family. Um, Before that, I was struggling a lot um, with lots of different things, I was emotionally numb, um, and I was questioning so much about my faith that I hadn't before. And growing up, I didn't question anything, really, that my parents taught me. I was just very go with the flow. Um, but I started working at Lakeland and attending here, and it was at the perfect time. Everyone that I came in contact with allowed me to be myself. They allowed me to ask scary questions, um, and they weren't afraid of answering them and helping me walk through that. I felt truly loved and safe to be myself. I think working at Lakeland was one of the most transformational times in my life. Um, I experienced God more real than I had ever before. I experienced his love. 
the unconditional love that doesn't depend on anything that I do or don't do. Um, and I wouldn't be the person I am today without all of you and without working here at Lakeland and sharing that experience with everyone. So thank you, Ashley Carlson, for inviting me into the Lakeland family. That's what it's all about, everyone. That's what it's all about. Thank you, Ashley, for sharing the invitation. And Hannah, we're so glad that you're with us. For the Son of Man came to seek out and save all who are lost and hiding. Ask yourself this, everyone. What other God do you see in our world right now even trying to do this? To reach out to people of every tribe, every race, every language with the message of equality, peace, and joy. What other God do you see even trying to do this? Reach out to every language, race, and culture with equality, love, and peace. Here he is, Christ Jesus, come down from the cross, laid in a tomb, risen from the tomb, and giving this invitation to the whole world. Who will you share it with this week? Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the life of the families and the children who received your invitation to First Communion, your table. We thank you for the life of Lyle McCrary, who received your invitation, shared it with others, and has gone on to be with you. We thank you for Ashley, who gave an invitation, Hannah, who received it. We pray, Lord, you'd use us this week to give invitation to the next person wandering in search of you. It is the name of Christ Jesus, our King, we pray. Amen. Our benediction today comes from St. Francis of Assisi. Now, I describe the kingdom of God like a game of sardines where out of the kingdom of God comes joy, giggling, snickering. This prayer does an even better job of, I think, more seriously telling us the things that come out of this kingdom of God that draw others to him. Let us pray that we can be these things together. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Take this kingdom with you into the world. Amen.